0: today on CityCast Denver. It's part two of our conversation on the House District 6 Democratic primary. The race has garnered a lot of attention from the media and seen unprecedented dollars flowing in, and it's just the primary. But the outcome has the potential to tell a bigger story about Denver
1: and reveal just how progressive of a city we really are. I think we need more legislators at the Capitol who are able to bring people together and to build coalitions and to collaborate and to compromise when necessary, but to stick to our values to really make real changes here in Colorado. My guest today is Katie
0: March. She's been a museum educator and a longtime staffer for Democrats at the State House, And now she's running to represent HD6 and join her former bosses. Oh, and if you missed our episode yesterday, be sure to check out my conversation with March's Democratic opponent, Elizabeth Epps. Today is Thursday, June twenty third, twenty twenty two. I'm Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. I'll
1: have to remember if I bring it down, just be like, "Don't forget to put your phone back up," because <laughs> I might forget that. <laughs> Katie March, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks so much, Bree. I'm, I'm honored to be
0: here. So Katie, I recently learned that you're kind of a history nerd. You worked at History Colorado at the Golden History Museum and you have a master's in history. And I wonder, how does your interest in history inform the political work you do?
1: Oh, I love that question. I, I, I am a huge history nerd. I actually love the history uh, segments that you've done on this show. I spent about a decade working in museums, um, and a museum educator. I worked at the Smithsonian American History, working particularly on the civil rights movement, um, talking especially about the Greensboro lunch counter and the student sit-in movement, which is something that I have a deep interest in. I've also worked on Colorado history, especially teaching Colorado history to kids in classrooms up and down the Front Range. And, um, you know, for me, I think that the history really overlaps with legislating because I think you need to know where you've come from in order to know how to improve our community. You know, when you understand the history of the silver rush and the gold rush and, um, you know, the economics of this state, it really helps to inform the boom and bust cycles that we've gone through here in Denver. And also, you know, the different type, you know, the Ludlow Massacre and um, Sand Creek Massacre and all of the different historic events that have really shaped this state really helps to inform how you legislate here and how you view community too. I love, I love history museums because of their incredible focus on community and really trying to understand, you know, the lives of the people who they are showcasing in their museums. And and that's something that I I really valued from my experience working in history museums.
0: So Katie, I know that you worked um, in House Speaker Alec Garnett's office, and you've been involved in state democratic politics for a long time. What was the impetus for you to move into running as a candidate
1: yourself? Yeah. Well, so um, my first involvement in democratic politics was actually when I was in college. I went to the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, and I knocked doors for Betsy Markey in Weld County, which is a very different experience than knocking doors in, in central Denver, where, where I'm running. Um, but, uh, you know, I have always been passionate about democratic politics, um, decided to switch from the museum field because I, I just wanted to make a bigger impact on my community. I had, you know, some personal health struggles that really showed to me some of the changes that we need to see in our healthcare system. I was absolutely sick seeing things like the Aurora Theater shooting and the many mass shootings that were happening across this country. Um, I saw the cost of housing increasing even then and just really decided I wanted to, you know. Get more involved and to be able to try to make some differences. And so I then decided to start working for the then Speaker of the House, Crisanta Duran, who is the first Latina Speaker of the House. Then worked underneath uh, Speaker Casey Becker and most recently under Majority Leader and then Speaker Alec Garnett and worked particularly on issues like gun violence prevention, um, but also on things like affordable housing, climate legislation, worker protections. And, you know, there's been a lot of bills that I've gotten to work on. And- issues to be involved with and to make really positive changes here in Colorado.
0: So your race has been characterized in many different ways by many different people. Some see it as sort of a radical versus establishment. And we're talking about the primary. Some see it as far left versus the center. I asked your opponent this, but I want to hear your perspective too. How do you identify or frame yourself politically?
1: Yeah, the tagline we've been using is progressive values, real results. I'm a progressive Democrat. I always have been. Um, I have always pushed for progress in our communities. But I also, you know, I think we need more legislators at the Capitol who are able to bring people together and to build coalitions and to collaborate and to compromise when necessary, but to stick to our values to really make real changes here in Colorado. I use the line a lot that I think we need a little, a little less talk and a lot more action. And I would really like to see bills passed that can actually help people and not just talking about them. And, you know, House District 6 is is interesting.
0: It's really, it runs through Denver. And so you're going to be representing many different neighborhoods. What do you think are the biggest issues facing House District 6 and your potential constituents right now?
1: Yeah. You know, I have knocked on a whole lot of doors personally, and then our campaign has well, has as well. Um. It has been an absolute honor to be able to go and knock these doors and talk to the people of House District 6, to hear their stories, their concerns, their struggles. And, um, you know, the number one thing that I hear about is gun violence prevention. People are really afraid right now um, in our communities and hearing the news about mass shootings, but also suicides and gun violence that they hear, you know, on their streets every day as well. I also hear a lot about affordable housing and concerns about the fact that Rents are rising. it's becoming you know difficult, if not impossible, to buy a home here in the Denver area because of these skyrocketing costs. And so that's something I would really love to address. And then especially gosh, this last week with the heat and you know hearing and concerns about wildfires, people are terrified about our, our changing climate and the crisis that is ensuing um, with concerns over water and air quality and things like that too.
0: on gun policy issues, and you've earned endorsements from groups like Ceasefire Colorado and Moms Demand Action. What do you see as like the next step or what would you be able to do in the office of House District 6 when it comes to gun policy?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, so to give a little background on that, so while working at the state legislature under the last three speakers, um, I actually was the staffer that was the lead on gun violence prevention issues. So worked closely. We passed seven bills in the last three years, including uh, Colorado's Extreme Risk Protection Order, or Red Flag Law, which is probably the most consequential piece of gun violence legislation out of the last 10 years. Um, What it does is it allows a family member or law enforcement who have concerns about someone who may be going through a mental crisis, or maybe expressing violent intentions, and um, wanting to be able to remove the firearms from that person, and so the law allows them to be able to petition a judge to remove those firearms um, if they have uh, have cause, and um, it has definitely saved lives here in Colorado. So that's that's where I started. Um, we've also passed bills on safe storage, on lost and stolen firearms, extended background checks. We created an office of gun violence prevention, and those are the types of things that we've already, already put in place. And I, it breaks my heart so often to think about the fact that if those laws were to have existed in Texas, it could have saved lives. And um, so there's more steps that I think that we desperately need to do. One that is not talked about very often, but is something I'm really passionate about. I think we need to institute gun store licensure a lot of people don't know that in Colorado, if you want to operate a gun store, all you need to have is a federal license, and you don't need any sort of state regulation other than a tax stamp. And the reason that's a problem is because the federal government doesn't have what I consider to be proper oversight over our gun stores. They don't keep great records. They don't check in to make sure people are following the rules, and they don't give two shakes about what we pass here at the state level. and that's a problem because we know that there are gun stores that are breaking state law right now, selling extended round magazines, not selling trigger locks with firearms, which are required by our state laws. And so I believe that we need to be able to have an oversight um, department that is able to make sure that our gun stores are following those laws, which means that the good actors um, are not competing with folks who are breaking the law. And so um, I think that's a big step. I also, I care deeply about instituting a waiting period. And then the final thing um, I believe strongly that we need to have an assault weapons ban. Um, I think that should be a state-level assault weapons ban across the state of Colorado and really making sure that we don't have these high-powered weapons of war here in the state. And I have worked really hard over the last five years to build an incredible coalition of group supporting. You mentioned people like Ceasefire and Moms Demand Action, also Giffords and Brady and all of these fantastic organizations, um, as well as you know unlikely allies. We worked really closely with the Republican. Sheriff Tony Spurlock to be able to help pass the red flag law and being able to build those coalitions is how we're going to get bills like an assault weapons ban passed here. It's going to be difficult, but I believe that we have the ability to do it.
0: And I have to ask because um, your opponent did say that she felt that you didn't stand for a state ban on assault weapons. Is that something that you've recently decided?
1: Nope. <laughs> I've been working in this space for a very long time. I don't know where she's getting that. That's not true. Um, you know, I have always been in favor of a state-level assault weapons ban. Um, you know, my opponent and I have some differing opinions when it comes to gun violence prevention. Um, and, you know, she, she tweeted in opposition to the red flag law, for example, when it was passed. And, you know, I, I have always been there and been working on this policy. And um, it's something that I'm incredibly passionate about.
0: And one more thing when we're talking about guns is there were allegations about NRA connected money coming into your campaign. Can you ex- explain
1: what happened? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Um, you know, frankly, I- there have been many folks who have said that I have taken contributions from the NRA, which is just patently blatantly false. I have never taken a dime of money from the NRA. and frankly, it's kind of laughable that they would want to give me any money. <laughs> I, have, I have spent my career fighting the policies that um, fighting for the policies that they oppose, and um, it's just there's just no truth in it. Um, and this is something else
0: I asked Elizabeth, but there's this narrative that we've been hearing about Denver, and it's that we're experiencing a quote unquote, crime wave. I wonder what you think about that narrative
1: Yeah, you know, talking to neighbors in our community, I hear a lot about concerns on crime. you know, I have concerns about uh, car thefts, catalytic converter thefts, um, things that you know, even the people in the neighborhood know that is not the most important thing, but things like package thefts, um, but then bigger concerns as well. We we have here lots of concerns about gunshots being fired and violent crime increasing on the streets and things like that. And so that is something that I take really seriously. Um, I am a Democrat and I believe in giving opportunity to people. And so I believe first and foremost we need to do better at funding our education system because we know that that is how we can help to make sure that people you know don't need to resort to crime. Also things like after school programs, um, economic opportunities, generally good jobs, making sure. That we have crime diversion programs. That's something that I've worked really closely on at the state legislature as well. Data-driven crime diversion programs. But I also know that we need to be able to have a police force that can respond when things go go wrong. And that's something that I think that the people of House District 6 also want is to make sure that we have that balance of trying to help people. But when, things, when there are problems, that we need to be able to have help um, for the people who live in the community as well.
0: And speaking of your community, I mean, I think this is something that we struggle with obviously across the state, but Denver's housing crisis in particular is something that we talk about a lot on the show. And I, I know from the coverage we've done that there's been some really productive bipartisan conversations about possible solutions um, for housing across the state. What would you do at the state house level to help with the housing crisis?
1: Yeah. You know, I think that that's an issue that we need to have a lot of different policies that are all working together to be able to help to fix this problem. So um, first, I care deeply about our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. Um, I think that we need to have housing first solutions to be able to make sure that people are housed and don't have to live in tents on the street. I think that we need wraparound services like behavioral health and mental health to be able to help people to pull themselves up and to be able to improve. Their lives as well. Um, I also think that we need to start working to have more affordable housing options available. That includes things like vouchers, um, housing vouchers, grants, stipends, um, to be able to help people afford the incredibly high cost and rising cost of rent in this city. Um, And then finally, I think that we need to have smart development. I think that right now we do not have enough housing available for the number of people that want to live here. And so I focus a lot on things, you know, I. I care a lot about Colfax Corridor. This district runs a lot along Colfax, and there are a lot of places. I know you actually just recently toured one um, that that there are, you know, hotels and motels that are boarded up, dilapidated, and unfortunately not being used to house anybody. And so I think that we need to work to be able to partner with organizations to be able to redevelop those into affordable housing solutions. I think that we need to make sure that we have ability to build things like condominiums and homes so that we can have people be able to move into home ownership um, so that they can, you know, that is that is the direct way to have a middle class lifestyle. And that's something that I think a lot of the people in this district just don't see as a possibility anymore. And so that's another thing that I think we need to continue to work on. I was really proud of some of the work that the affordable housing Transformational task force did this last year of putting a whole lot of resources into making sure that we have more affordable housing, and I think that we need to continue that work. I would like to continue that work if elected to the to the state house. How do you think that would work at a state house level? Like, do you have any specific policy ideas? Mm-hmm. So a lot of it comes in the forms of tax credits, um, making sure that you have grants, vouchers, putting state dollars. You know we have the LITEC program, the low income housing tax credit program, CHAFa, um, and being able to fund those programs sufficiently is something that we have always struggled with due to uh, our tax system. Tabor, um, I think that we need to repeal Tabor. That is something I would absolutely love to continue to work on. But even with, before we can, you know, if we can't get to that in my first year. I think we also need to be putting general fund dollars into making sure we are funding these programs.
0: So you've been canvassing, obviously, I think. So you spend a lot of time literally on the ground in your community. Kitty, what are some of your favorite spots in House District 6?
1: Oh, God, there's so many to count or too many to count. Um, House District 6 has some of the best pizza in the States. Um, oh, do you tell. Know, Yeah, so Benny Blanco's um, is in Capitol Hill area, one of my favorite spots. We have Slice Works. We have Blue Pan Pizza in Congress Park. Um, uh, Walter's 303 is in Lowry. Fantastic pizza. Um, We also, you know, we've got great bars, uh, X Bar and Charlie's. And my favorite um, spot that I go often is um, Pub on Pen, which is, I think the Denver Post called it our unofficial campaign headquarters. I've I've got, we spend, um, we've got a lot of friends that go there. We've got great coffee. Um, You know, I'm running uh, the current speaker of the house loves Pablo's on Pennsylvania. And I do too. spend a lot of time there. Um, We're going to downpours and Kochi Cafe. So lots of wonderful spots. We've got great parks. I breathe. There is far too many great spots today. I was like, you're
0: reminding (laughs) me of all these places that I like forgot are in your district, but you do. I think we might have an unofficial pizza center happening yes. in house district six. Can we,
1: can we proclaim that? Can we, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put that, put a badge on my website or something. Be like Denver's pizza Harbor here yes. in the middle of house
0: district six. Cause those are all really, I mean like I'm an old Benny Blanco stand, but I've still never yes. been to Walters and I've heard it's phenomenal. Awesome.
1: It's awesome. So. And Benny Blanco's is one of my faves. We go there a lot.
0: It's the best, even though I love they kind of have bad attitudes, and I appreciate that. Like, yeah. they're like, what oh, the do you music? want?
1: Oh, yeah. I love the music there, too. Like, they had like heavy metal music playing. while like Oh, it's your the pizza best. I'm here for it.
0: It's the best.
1: <laughs> well, Katie March, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's really great to get to chat with you and, um, you know, hope you have a great afternoon. And that's all
0: from Katie March, Democratic candidate for HD6. To hear from her opponent, Elizabeth Epps, I'm gonna drop a link to yesterday's episode in the show notes. And on that, I have to clarify something from that interview. In one question, I implied that Epps had at one point described herself as an anarchist. She forcefully rebuked me at the time and I thought made her stance quite clear. But I have to apologize for using that term at all. It was first brought into this primary race by a racist push-pull designed to attack Epps and it really has no place in this discussion. I also know that context is everything and even though the anarchists in my life are good people who do things like mutual aid work, the term is often weaponized against women and people of color. My apologies to Elizabeth and anyone listening who had a similar rightful reaction. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Looks like Governor Polis is diving into the lifeguard shortage issue. The Denver Post reports that Polis' new proposal includes allowing 16- and 17-year-old lifeguards to work overtime and creating a grant program for recruitment and higher staff wages. He also put forth a program that would pay aspiring lifeguards $1,000 for a week of training, which sounds like a pretty sweet deal for any teens out there looking for a cool summer job. Oh, and to all my fellow parent types and folks caring for others, I don't need to tell you how freaking expensive diapers are, but City Council just eased our burden a little bit. Denverite reports that council unanimously passed a tax exemption on diapers for kids and incontinence products for adults, saving us in the city and county of Denver 4.8% on those purchases. Whew. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter where today, Peyton digs into the LGBTQ affirmative legacy of former Boulder County clerk, Clela Rorex. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Looks like Governor Polis is diving into the lifeguard shortage issue. The Denver Post. (laughs) The Denver Post also used an equally corny. (laughs) You just can't not.